You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Friday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm joined by Cam Berry and Brent Daughtry today as we're excited to be with you on this Friday afternoon. A lot to talk about. Just got the pleasure of seeing retired Ward Am Steve again as uh, he's back up for an Auburn LSU weekend. We thank him for stopping by also brought his daughter, Emily, as well. You can go find her book. She's got a children's book uh, on Amazon that you can uh, that you can check out. Emily Corden is the name, so check her out on Amazon. We appreciate them stopping by, and uh, we always love seeing our callers uh, as well as a lot of people getting in town for Auburn and LSU, which we will talk a lot about throughout the program Today, we'll also talk some other college football games in the SEC and in the top 25. Talk a little NFL. is another NFL slate getting sent for this Sunday. And a big series in Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves and the New York Mets. It all pretty much comes down to this. Pretty much. Uh, as as <laughs> these two teams have three games in Truist Park. Thankfully, the weather is going to be great. After some days of thinking about having to move it, the hurricane, which again, I've used the line a lot this week, someone's fortune is someone else's misfortune as the hurricane went a little farther to the east and north, hitting South Carolina and not Georgia on the reentry. And so hoping that those people are okay in South Carolina and North Carolina and the Outer Banks and also obviously a lot of people reeling in Florida right now after the first impact of Hurricane Ian. But nevertheless, that uh, went further east, so good news for Atlanta and getting these three games in in a timely manner at Truist Park. So we'll break down that series and also, as of course, every single day, birthdays in sports. And at 4.30 today, we will have an interview with Brian Crichton. He is the president of Talladega Super Speedway. Of course, we've been talking about it a little bit all week as Talladega hosts the second playoff race of this round, uh, the Yellowwood 500. And so we'll talk to Brian Crichton at 4.30 today about everything going on at Talladega Super Speedway this weekend so a lot to talk about a lot of good things a lot of analysis and a a lot of things to uh talk about throughout the day today uh again ryan lavoy brant dontry and cam berry with you here today start with you brant hope you're doing well and uh gonna be a fun show today absolutely hold on there we go hold on maybe there you are am i here okay there we go there it is all right couldn't hear myself. I don't think anybody else could hear me. But uh, that, was uh, <laughs> that was interesting. All right. Heck of a way to kick off the show. But, yeah, I'm doing great, man. Uh, excited for the game tomorrow. I'm going to be in attendance. 
uh, excited to watch the Braves tonight uh, and tomorrow and Sunday. And you're right, it, it does all come down to this series. Um, th- this is pretty much going to be the decider. Whoever wins this has a much better shot at winning the division than the other team does. So uh, hopefully the Braves can just go ahead and sweep it and pull it out and we'll we'll all go home happy. Uh, but it, it'll obviously uh, probably not be that easy, so we'll see uh, what happens. But, yeah, uh, Auburn versus LSU, it's it's always weird. It's, it's always something different happening, and, and who knows? May, I hope that this is just another one of those weird games where everybody at least leaves entertained. Fair enough. I would like to be entertained as well. <laughs> um, there is one way that I would be more entertained than the way I would not be as entertained. Absolutely. Uh, Facts. Cam Berry with us on the program as well. Cam, good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Yes, yes, doing really well. Um, yeah, also going to be at the game tomorrow. Um, and like Brand, I, I, you know, it, it's a night game in Jordan Hare, so you really can't count out anything. Anything can happen. But yeah, I, I mean, for the most part, I think we all just want to be entertained. And um, I, if Auburn can manage to pull out a win, that would make everything even better. Um, excited to, you know, I won't be able to watch the first two games for the Braves, but that third game, since it's on ESPN, I'll be able to watch that one. So, uh, shout out to YouTube TV for not being able to carry Bally sports. Um, and yeah, so just ready for a great weekend of sports, ready for Sunday, ready for some Falcons football. Let's get to 500 baby. Um, and, uh, see how that goes playing the Cleveland Browns. So it should be tough. Might, they might be without their two edge rushers though. And, um, Miles Garrett and uh, Jadavian Clowney, so that'll definitely be interesting and play a big part. Uh, Cordell Patterson's going to be questionable, though, coming into the game, so uh, going to be interesting if he plays. Uh, and if not, then, you know, kind of turn to Tyler Algier in the run game, and that, that could change up some things in the play calling. So, yeah, going to be a good one, going to be a fun weekend. Yeah, uh, you talking about missing the first two games of the Brave Series, I can do you one better. I won't be watching a single pitch of it. Not a single oh, pitch man. all weekend. Um, oh, but I will, you'll, you'll be busy. I yeah. will be at three kinds of football games this weekend. <laughs> I will be yeah. at a high school game tonight. I will be at a college game tomorrow. I think everyone can deduce where that one will be. And then I will be in Tampa on Sunday. So I will not see any of the series, uh, which is a bummer time to not see any of it. Uh, game 75, sure. Don't care. Fine. Have your, have your Marlins series. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but this is... Uh, 157 through 159 on the schedule is very big against the New York Mets. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to be with you. I will not be seeing much. Um, anyway, we will talk about that a little bit later on in the show. Let's do start with some Auburn and LSU breakdown. We've uh, alluded to this game as a problematic game for Auburn throughout the week, obviously given what we've seen out of Auburn these past two weeks. Really, you could say the past three weeks, even dating back to San Jose State. Um so when you look at this game, what seems to be the keys? And yes, I know offensive line. Offensive line has to do something that is positive, uh, something much better than they've been doing the last couple of weeks. But what are some of the other things that interest you about this game, these two teams? Uh, a lot has been made of the lack of creativity uh, from the offensive staff in their play calling in, in getting the ball to the playmakers in space, right? Those are the those are your buzzwords. Get get it to the playmakers in space. Um, and, and what does that mean? Well, it means throw screens, but Auburn hasn't been super effective on screens so far this year. Uh, it means go outside the tackles, but can't. But even when you go outside the tackles, somebody has to block the in man on the line of scrimmage, so you're still having to make blocks in that situation. Uh, and, you know, do you send Tank Bigsby out on pass patterns? Can he? Is he a good enough pass catcher? 
to go out and do that, which uh, maybe, but we don't really know. There's, yeah, it's it's been interesting. There at Boise State, Brian Harson was known for his creativity in play calling and, and getting, like I said, getting the ball to his athletes in space. And at Auburn, that just hasn't worked as much, or it hasn't been called as much, which leads me to believe that the offense just isn't as good at executing that. Uh, it's much simpler to run the ball up the middle than it is to. I don't know, throw a slant, you know, and it's all about, I guess, how much do you trust Robbie Ashford? How much do you trust the guys around him? I, I need to see something. Um, I, I would like some more sweeps, maybe some speed sweeps with your wide receivers, maybe with tank on a motion, uh, run a touch pass, something like that. But I, I'm interested to see uh, what the, what the creativity in the offensive play calling looks like on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, LSU is going to be without one of its starters on the offensive line. Uh, and they they were already starting two freshmen, two true freshmen at offensive tackle, which I have made it very well known on here that true freshmen often do not get starts on the offensive line because it's such a steep right, learning curve. Right. So you are already going to want to take advantage of those two guys. Well, now somebody else is hurt. So now you've got p- two, potentially three targets. I'll be honest. I don't know which one is hurt. I don't know if he's one of those tackles or not. But you do have one guy that's going to be out. They're also without uh, their starting tailback, uh, who's... Uh, really the only experienced running back they have. So it's going to be getting to Jaden Daniels. He's going to be the key for stopping LSU's offense. You've got to get to him. You've got to make him uncomfortable. And you've got to maintain your lanes. You can't overrun him. Yeah, because he'll run right away from you. He is a run-first quarterback, even though he has been really good at throwing the ball this year. But he is a run-first quarterback. He is going to try and run it all over Auburn. And at some point, he's going to have an explosive play or two that's going to drive us as fans absolutely crazy. But Auburn has to limit those, and the way you do that is you maintain your rush lane and you get to them quickly. So those are my keys: is be creative in your play, in your play calling, whatever that looks like, and uh, get 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 to and contain Jaden Daniels. Yeah, um, I agree with a lot of what you said, Brant, for sure. I mean, just getting getting pushed in the defensive line, especially if they're going to have freshmen starting, you got to get after Jaden Daniels as much as possible, get, his, get in his face, make him uncomfortable, especially with the wide receiving core that LSU has also. Like, I'm definitely interested to see how our secondary is going to hold up against against these, these LSU wide receivers that are extremely talented. I mean, their leading receiver right now is I don't, Neighbors, Malik Neighbors, but they also have Keyshawn Boutte, if I'm correct – they do. He they will do. be. He yeah. will be back but, for this yeah. game. So they, he they, was mainly only out because he had a child. Okay, uh, that's. Yeah. I do, I do yes. remember seeing Came that. Probably. So they have Keishawn Butte, who's arguably probably the one or two wide receiver uh, that's in this uh, draft class soon. And so you know, getting up against him and all these guys is it, definitely going to be interesting to see. You got to get get pressure because with Jaden Daniels and his accuracy in the throwing game. And these wide receivers that are as talented as they are, they're going to pick us apart if we don't get back there in his face as quickly as possible. I, I think it is really important to get pressure. I think you saw uh, in that Florida State game that LSU did lose, you saw Jane Daniels running for his life a lot. Yeah. I mean, you saw him uh, – it, it looked like a big issue. Now it's slowly gotten better. They did a much better job against Mississippi State. But still, there is some element to the scramble mode that, that Jane Daniels has to go through. Um, he has been, uh, I don't want to say surprisingly or shockingly good because uh, we knew that he was solid at Arizona State, yeah. that he was very capable. But I think he's even played better than we, or at least I, anticipated him. He's 81 of 111 this year for 835 and six touchdowns. And, of course, 
you know, that's that's over 70% as a passer. Right. We know that he adds the run game element. He is LSU's leading rusher this year. He's run for 262 yards in four games, which is roughly 65 or so, 60 a game. Um, so he has been dynamic for them. But, again, uh, as you mentioned, I believe is the left guard after looking it up that is, okay. is out for LSU. Um, and then, as you mentioned, a couple freshmen. So there is room to attack this offensive line for LSU. The problem for Auburn is they've been very displeased for the most part with what they've done up front. Derek Hall right. played a really good game last weekend against Missouri, but up until that point hadn't even heard much from Hall and, and had not heard much from any of the guys. Eculiotis had a few plays here and there, but you know I, I think that when I look at this team – that LSU is playing, you know, I I think the LSU offense is going to kind of do. I, I do don't think thing. there's a very high ceiling. I don't think there's a very low floor. I think they're going to be in the twenty to thirty point mark. I I don't yeah. see them having just this atrocious game where they can't get anything done. I don't see them just going up and down the field and running laps around Auburn. I think they're again twenty to thirty points. So I think that the offense for Auburn, and you talked about the creativity, Brant. And I thought it was a great point because so many times coaches will, will, will come to you and say, well, we can't do the simple things right because of this, because of that. And obviously for Auburn, it's it's because of the offensive line. Why can we execute something that's fancy? Why would we execute something that's a little right. tougher to predict? And, and so it can be frustrating because we've not seen a lot of cool stuff at Auburn. We've seen a few things early in the season, but – when you when you're struggling to execute the simple stuff, it's hard to make the argument that we can do fancy and cool things too. Um, but I think they're going to need some of that. They're going to have to yes. think. I guess my point here is they're going to have to think outside the box because the offensive line is going to be a bad offensive line this year. They might be able to get it a little better. They might have certain instances where they're a little better, but. I, offensive line is not something that I kind of think is something you can just make a world of difference in within the year. No, I think no. there are certain Either things. Either they're good or they're not. I think there are certain things. Like, I think you can correct penalties a lot. I think you can kind of teach to be smarter. I think you can start to know the, the, the situation better as far as, you know, you're, you're getting lined up better. You're getting you're – not, you're not jumping off sides. I, I think you can correct penalties a lot throughout the year. Um and there's certainly some other things well uh, as well. But offensive line, I just don't think Auburn can go night and day different. So all year long, Auburn's goal on offense is figuring out how to get around a poor offensive line. And that's a very tough problem to solve because the offensive line is the root of everything that you do in offense. And so oftentimes we don't appreciate it enough when it's good, and we obviously Amen. criticize it a lot yeah. more when it's bad. It's right. kind of like a, a closing pitcher in Major League Baseball. <laughs> yeah. You go 30 of 32, that's great. That 33rd time, you blew that 2-1 to one lead against a team you hate. You suck. You're out. I don't like you. You're not good. <laughs> um, and so I guess everything to say here is their creativity is the thing to look out for in offense because if they just simply line up and run halfback dive, if they simply – do their just simple play action stuff, the, just the simple stuff that we've seen. And, again, there's nothing wrong. I'm not saying you, every offense needs to be crazy and intricate. But when you can't get the simple stuff to work, you still got to find a way to do something else. Yep. And, and, and so I guess I'm trying to buck the point of saying it's not probably good enough to say, well, we can't execute the simple stuff, so let's not try anything else. We just got to work on the simple stuff. No, you need to find ways to be more creative that yeah. might find you might strike on a strength because I will say about LSU's defense. 
They've been really good so far. I think their performance against Mississippi State was surprisingly good. They made Will Rogers look about as pedestrian as he's been at Mississippi State. He was only around 57, 58% completion percentage, and that's an offense that wants you to be over 70. Right. Uh, he was six yards of completion, which that's not as big of a deal for Mississippi State, but again, it's still not great. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a great job there, but one thing I, I when I think of LSU defenses in recent years, which obviously have not been the as good ones, they've still been loaded with talent, they've been over-aggressive at times. That's why they have failures. Well, if you're doing something simple, you can be really aggressive. You know what's coming. There's not a big repercussion to the simplicity that right. the other team runs. But if you're running some foolish stuff, if you're running some some, some trick plays, some, trick plays, yeah. some deep play action, some, some looks like this, but it's actually this plays, that's when you can try, hopefully get an over-aggressive defense to, to make to some poor plays. Some bait. Yep. Yeah, you, you've, you've kind of shown off I don't want to say bare bones because it hasn't been bare bones, but you've shown off a smaller, more condensed offense uh, with Robbie Ashford. You've I mean, shown it's a ten- limited offense. It's, it is it is limited, and it's going to be limited as long as Robbie is the starter. I feel like we can say that pretty confidently. Yeah. But every week you install something new. You install some tendency breakers. You've you put stuff on film and say, okay, they've seen this on film. Now here's what we're going to run instead. I remember it was the. That naked bootleg play action where yeah. Robbie dumped it off to Coy more over the top. And, and on one play, it was to Luke Deal. And that play worked every time, even though it didn't work as well as it could have every single time. So I, I think LSU's seen that. I would love to see something different run off of that look. Or, or maybe you do run that naked bootleg, but instead of five yards behind him to where you've got, you've got a linebacker covering that side of the flat, you've got somebody going deeper. You've got more options than just that one guy, but also... It's tough to do that because in a naked bootleg, you've got somebody coming right at you, and you've got to get rid of that ball quickly, so you don't really have time to plant your feet and make a solid throw. But run some kind of run some kind of tendency breaker off of that look because you've put it on film, and it did work. It was one of the few things that did work for Auburn. So now teams are going to be gearing up to stop it. So you've got to somehow run off of that. And I don't know what it looks like. Brian Harson is getting paid millions of dollars to coach football. He needs to figure it out. I am getting paid not that to talk about football. So. Uh, I, I would love to, I would love to be paid millions of dollars to talk about football, but this is where we are. So uh, one you, day, you, one day, one day, man. Um, yeah, you, you, I, you need to see creativity, and, and however that looks. And again, don't don't just say, "Well, just throw screens," because Auburn's averaging about four yards per screen this year. I saw that stat earlier. So. Just that's that's not, not good. Great, that's not great. I, everyone just overall not a great blocking team. <laughs> no, it, it, well, I think the wide receivers have some blocking skill. The Shedrick yeah. Jackson is really okay. good. Cam, Camden Brown, Camden Brown has shown me some stuff. He knows how to block. I, I I understand that everybody wants to see him catch passes, but he knows how to block. Landon King is a converted tight end. He's a pretty good downfield blocker. Um, even the little guys are scrappy with it. You know, they they get after it. So, you know, I it. I don't know what I want to see out of Auburn other than points. I just want points. I don't care how they come. Just an just, offense that seems functional that yeah. doesn't lose Fake a head of the steam. field goal. <laughs> because the, I mean, just even that's the a, margin. That's a I would like to see a score in the second half. If I don't know if you guys yeah. agree with me, but it's yeah. you know it kind of just seems like we get what we need. Especially that's what happened with Mizzou. I mean, we went down and scored. I think was it back to back drives. I don't, yeah, first yeah, first I mean, two drives we scored two touchdowns. Drives, we scored touchdowns, and then we didn't score again until the field goal that you know ultimately won us the game in overtime so it's just things like that it it, 
the adjustments, whatever, however that needs to go. I, I really, that's something that I want to see. I want to see second half adjustments. I want to see an, a successful offense and defense in the second half. Whatever happens throughout the first half, cool. If we're up, great. If we're not, great. But I just want to see some progress in the second half or we're just going to be dead in the water. That's a good point, Cam. And I do want to talk more about that on the other side of this break because obviously the second half woes have been well documented. So we're going to talk about on the other side of this break how Auburn can combat that. Also going to brainstorm over this break what kind of formation, what kind of play have you seen recently or you're just aware of in college football or football in general that you've not seen Auburn run that you'd like to see Auburn run at some point this year? We'll do that after this timeout because I have one <laughs> I have one that I've thought about that I'm in love with right now. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about second half woes for Auburn coming up after this. All of the biggest names in the sports world want to be on Sports Call. We are very excited to be joined by ESPN's Adam Amin. Bring on a very special guest, a good friend of the program, a former host of this very show, and the current voice of the Auburn Tigers, the one and only Andy Burcham. We get the opportunity to welcome in Mr. Phil Steele into our program. Be sure to listen to our conversations with athletes, coaches, and media personalities on the Sports Call podcast. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak, and you are listening to the Abbey Award-winning Sports Call Auburn. Welcome back to Auburn's first, Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call, on this Friday afternoon, getting you set, all things Auburn, as Auburn and LSU will battle tomorrow night in Jern-Hare Stadium. By the time we go off air, it'll be about 24 hours away. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, Brant Daughtry with you right here. And Before the break, I posed a couple of questions. One, which we'll talk about in a little bit, how do you get better at the second half? Because that is a noted woe for Auburn ever since the losing streak started last year against Power 5 competition. The second halves are not going well, and it's not even close. And then the question we're talking about right now is, is there a formation, is there a play, is there a type of play that Auburn's not been running so far this year that you would like to see them run? And Brant has already drawn something on the whiteboard. He's excited <laughs> about it, so he can talk about his first. I, I just felt like drawing. I, I've said it before. I was so cl- I was very, very close to becoming a football coach out of uh, out of college um, and ended up not doing that. But I still get the itch sometimes. So I, I'm going to go with a GT counter. I, I love GT counters. For those who don't know, um, a, a GT counter means you're pulling the backside guard and tackle. You're acting like you're going one way. You're acting like you're going one way, and then you pull the guards from that side out to the other side. You leave the backside in unblocked. Your guard kicks him out. Tackle leads up through the hole. Running back follows the lead blocker. It's down blocks for everybody on the play side of the offensive line. You can hopefully get one of your guys to the second level. Hopefully, the the running back is actually going to move to, away from the play side 
So hopefully that gets your linebackers flowing one way. That makes it easier for your linemen to climb to the second level. And then you've got a lead blocker. It's it's just a counterplay. Um, I also love here what I've done with my wide receivers. I've gotten two wide receivers to either side. On one on before the snap, I'm going to motion a receiver across the formation to the weak side to what's going to end up being the back side of the play. So you get that's another way to get the defense flowing to that side and then run it the other way. Uh, just I, I love weak side GT counter. That, that's one of my favorite plays. Whenever it hits, it hits big. Uh, you And you don't need – well, I'm not going to say you don't need space, but really there's only one or two key blocks here that absolutely have to be made. You need Your left – your play side tackle has to make that down block on your defensive tackle, and then your pulling guard has to make that kick out block. And when you, when you get a guard with a running start – kicking out a, a defensive end or an outside backer. Usually good things happen. Yeah, you get you get a running start on that. That makes it easier to hit somebody. So and then you've got your then you've got your tackle being a lead leading blocker for whatever linebacker gets in the way. Linebacker, defensive back. You're going to you're basically asking one wide receiver to make a good block and you bet you're if you're playing wide receiver for me, you better be able to block. Uh it's I I love G T counter. I haven't seen enough of it lately. It's one of my favorite plays in football. Um, for me, it's really just anything, anything that could get, I guess we, we can assume that Robbie's going to be the starter, right? So anything that can really get Robbie out in some, out in some space, give him a little bit more time to throw anything along the lines of that would be extremely helpful because obviously it just, just get him moving away from the, away from the line, really over just away or out somewhere and just give him a little bit of space. Some bootlegs. Yeah, yeah. Some bootlegs and just give him some time to to make a decision throw he can run he needs to if he needs to any anything along the lines of that all right so what i've got is something that i think i saw for the first time on sunday i believe it was sunday i can't remember for a fact though what who it was i just i was so taken aback because i hadn't quite seen anything quite like it before this is in pro or college it's in pro it was pro okay and then i saw it last night and I saw it three times last night, and it was Miami doing it. Maybe it was Miami doing it on Sunday. I cannot remember. Um, so they start in the pistol, and it's it's going to have some premises that are similar to the GT counter that, that Brian's talking about. Mm-hmm. But what they did was, and I don't know if anyone knows this play, last night it was not as successful. They ran it once for eight yards, the second time got two yards, and then they did a play off of it that worked brilliantly. I'll explain that. It was a second. run play? The third play was a pass play. The first two were run plays. Okay, okay. And so what it is is they're in the pistol, and they motion someone. We're, we're, we're going to run this to the right. So they motion someone left, and when the quarterback takes the snap, they hand it off in a way that they turn their back from the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. completely. So it's not really a counter. It's not a dive. It's like this. It's it's almost like the premise of how you would hand the ball off if you were a reverse. Yeah. And you're and the running back takes it way outside, but similar to the counter, there's a guard that pulls, and so it's got this misdirection that it looks like I don't know we're doing something to the left. So you move a linebacker out, mm-hmm. and you get that linebacker on the left side of the, of the play, and then you pull that left guard all the way across and have this really stretched out run play to the right. And it worked very well when I saw it on Sunday. It worked for like 15 yards, and then it worked to some degree for eight yards, two yards. Why I like it is because it's such a wide play, 
And because there's motion involved, there's things you can do off of it. So what Miami did off of it the third time after they got their eight-yard run, two-yard run, is they circled back, so snapped the ball, they play-actioned it to the running back wide, and then Tua ran out, and Tyree Kill ran a flat off of that, and so he's matched on a, on a linebacker because yeah, of the motion, yeah, yeah, and he gets yeah. about 12 or 13 yards for a first down because he just beats the linebacker to the corner. And so Auburn trying to run this seems disastrous because of a pulling <laughs> guard and everything. But again, we're you got to think of things that you don't normally see. And I think something creative when you're getting motion, so you're trying to really mess with the eyesight, you're really trying to mess with the assignments of the defense – you get motion involved, and then you misdirect the play. And so you've really got to be disciplined. And we talked about in the first segment, I don't know how disciplined LSU's defense still is. That's right. still to be proven. They're, they're playing better defense this year. They're very talented. They're starting to figure it out. But a true test of that is all the misdirection and, and, and motion that you can handle. Um, and so that's, that's what I would love to see is some variation of that, a little pistol going, some wide runs, pulling guards, and then you, you find stuff off of that. Uh, last thing in this segment, before we got to take a break, we do have to get birthdays and sports in in this hour. Again, any ideas for second-half adjustments? What is potentially going wrong at the half? What would you do to stop it? Uh, do you just... I don't know. Like again, this it's is why kinda, it's a question. Yeah. I don't. I don't have an obvious answer. Uh, it just kind of seems like they stick with the same game plan that they had in the first half, right? And and the other team is adjusting and doing what they need to do, and then we do nothing, and then nothing happens. So I just kind of want to. I just want to see just something change. Like once you know that what you're doing isn't working, let's try something different. And if that doesn't work, I'm okay with that because at least you tried. That, that's my thought process. At least you tried to change something up of what was going on in the first place. I, I think it's interesting because I think this was a criticism around Gus a lot and because Gus would not well, really yeah. change much in the second half. It's but so weird because was, in my head, I always thought Auburn was a second-half team. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, – what, what in in the more successful years that Auburn has, has they they have been a second yeah. half team. So, you know, the, so the, it, the comeback, the the cardiac kids yeah. of of ten and thirteen for sure. So it went both ways, but I guess what I'm saying is at least there was an element to success, even in some of those blown leads. Like you think right. to this very team in 2017 when Auburn went to LSU and blew a big lead, oh, and in the lack of adjustment there, right. at least to that point you had success in what you did in the first half. There's less of that in these first halves. I'm not saying there's no success because obviously Auburn in the first yeah. quarter was was solid against Missouri. They looked good offensively. Like we were about yeah. to steamroll. Um, however, first, the second in the first quarter, quarter was 14 to nothing, right. and I said, "Man, that's that's a pretty good quarter. Yeah. That looks things better. are looking good right now." And then it it and then stopped. the other three quarters and happened. then it stopped. <laughs> right, 45 more minutes of football lapsed, and no more points were scored. They were not allowed to score more points. But I just think you know. It's one of those things where they've got to be more reactive and more willing to change things on the fly, right? Because there's always levels of stubbornness to a coach and that they know what they're doing and that sort of thing. But the other team is trying to know what you're going to try to do. Like I could get into really, really confusing language if I started to hash out the (laughs) mental gymnastics there. It's a chess match. Football is a chess match. But the reality is like you – 
unless you're a really, really good team, which Auburn is clearly not, they're not a top, not going to be a top 10 team this year. Unless you're someone that's that big, the other team is going to figure out what you do, and they're going to have some sort of success to stop that because you're not going to be so dominant that you're just going to get to do it over and over and over and over again. Right. You're going to have to throw them off balance. And so I guess the reality is is that they're seeing some element of success, and I guess they're doubling down at half that they think that they will just start working in the second half and that do-what-we-do type of thing. That's and not smart. It's not been going well, and it will not go well. if How many people, if Auburn are tied at half, are even going to be excited about that? Are they just going to be starting to think about second-half failures? I'll be apprehensive at best. Uh, there you go. So when we come back, one final segment of hour number one. We'll do birthdays and sports and wrap up the first hour again at 4.30 today. Brian Creighton, president of Talladega Super Speedway, will join us in the next hour. One final segment of hour number one next. Follow us on tweeters. Follow our sports call host, J.J. Jackson, on Twitter by searching at underscore J.J. underscore Jackson underscore. And follow the show on Twitter by searching at Sports Call AU. Hashtag, is that two words? This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call. Welcome back to the Friday edition of Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9. My name is Ryan LaVoy. I'm filling in for J.J. Jackson, who will be on the call of Auburn soccer tonight for the SEC Network Plus as they take on Vanderbilt 5 o'clock at the Auburn Soccer Complex. I'm joined by Cam Berry, Brent Daughtry here today, talking Auburn and LSU so far on the program today. A little bit later on again, we'll have our interview with Brian Creighton, president of Talladega Super Speedway. Also talk some about the National Football League and some about the rest of the college football matchups as well. But first, we do this each and every day. It's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. Birthdays in Sports today on the final day of September, September the 30th. David Bakhtiari turns 31, NFL offensive tackle for the Green Bay Packers, drafted by the Packers in the fourth round of the 2013 NFL Draft, has been there ever since. Two-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, three-time Pro Bowler, played three years of college football at Colorado, where he was a two-time second-team All-Pac-12. David Bakhtiari who returned to the lineup last week for the Packers, turns 31. Very, very good offensive tackle. All-world beer chugger. True. Very That's true. a good point. I forgot about that. I Make can now shrink. envision that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Adam Pacman jones turns 39 today. Former NFL corner and return specialist. Was drafted sixth overall by the Titans in the 2005 NFL Draft. Also played with the Dallas Cowboys, Denver Broncos, and notably Cincinnati Bengals, first-team All-Pro in 2014, Pro Bowler in 2015, Pro Football Writers Association All-Rookie Team in 2005, played three years of college football at West Virginia, first-team All-Big East, rest in peace for football in 2004, and second-team All-Big East 
in 2003. Adam Pacman Jones turns 39. Great guy. He was a problem for several reasons. He was. <laughs> <laughs> that about sums it up. Aaron Holiday turns 26. NBA point guard for the Atlanta Hawks, 23rd overall pick in the 2018 NBA draft by the Indiana Pacers. Has also played for the Wizards and Suns, played three years of college basketball at UCLA, third team All-American in 2018, first team All-Pac-12 in 2018, and made the Pac-12 All-Defensive team. Aaron Holiday has a couple of brothers, Justin Holiday and Drew Holiday in the NBA, but Aaron Holiday, the youngest, turns 26. Kenley Jansen turns 35 today, the closer for the Atlanta Braves. Signed with the Dodgers as an undrafted free agent in 2004. Made his MLB debut in 2010, became closer in 2012. Three-time All-Star World Series champion in 2020. All-MLB second team in 2021. Two-time NL reliever of the year. NL saves leader in 2017 with 41. And is a part of the 300 save club not bad for an undrafted free yeah, agent. not bad at all. No. Especially when there's all those rounds in Major right. League Baseball. Jeez. Kenley Jansen turns 35 today. Hopefully he'll get a save on his birthday. Yeah. I was going to say, you think we're going to need him tonight? Probably. You're going to, yeah. If the Braves want to win, they're going to probably need him tonight. And then Max Verstappen turns 25 today. Formula One driver for Red Bull Racing. He was the F1 World Champion in 2021. In his career, 157 races, 31 career wins. The Formula One Rookie of the Year in 2015. Two-time Dutch Sportsman of the Year. Youngest driver to start in Formula One race and youngest driver to win a Formula One race. Max Verstappen turns 25 today. And those are the birthdays in sports. I really saw a list spanning, what, the major three sports in America. F1, which is the biggest worldwide racing Circuit, uh, not bad today. Oh, not bad at Pretty all. Pretty good bunch. Some good birthdays. Here on the last day of September, just a few minutes left here in hour number one. Let's do talk a little bit more about the Braves and Mets series here as uh, they're getting going tonight. Of course, you can listen to those games on uh, our sister station, 1230 WAUD, um, here in Auburn. Braves-Mets tonight. Braves have to win two uh, three would definitely be preferable, uh, given the situation. Tonight, it's Jacob deGrom versus Max Fried, And mm. I'll pull this one stat out for you uh, that I saw Mark Bowman, who covers the Braves, tweet. Pretty miraculous how the second half of this tweet finishes. So Jacob deGrom has a 2.08 ERA and 27 starts versus Atlanta. That is the lowest ERA produced by any pitcher that has made at least 25 starts against the Braves during the division era. So that's since 1969. Amazing. However, the Mets are 12-15 and 15 in these games started by DeGrom. Really? 2.08 ERA. Yeah. The team is 12-15. and 15. That's bad. So, it means the bats don't help them much. Never. So you need a low-scoring one tonight, but it's something the Braves usually are able to get out right, of Jacob. Right. Yeah. yeah, that would that, be a good one. That and, is pretty nuts, man. The the matchup of Freed versus yeah, Degrom, Freed it's, the, oh. it's going to be a playoff series, just not quite in the playoffs yet. <sighs> the energy is going to be insane. Yeah, I like that it's in Truist. I I definitely like that. Um, that that kind of you don't really talk much about home field advantage in baseball, but it's definitely something that I feel like kind of plays a part. Um, and I mean, the last time we faced off against them at home, we did pretty well. So. Uh, I'd like to see us continue that success. Get three, that would be very, very good. But, but 
I'll be okay with two, and then we have the series against the Marlins, and they, I think they go against the Nationals, right? So maybe the Nationals can help us out a little bit. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> have the Nationals lost their 100th game yet? Have they hit 100 losses? I think so. I, I do want to say the only thing that would give you hope is that, uh, as the Nationals are 54-102, and 102, nice. is that the Mets had by far an easier schedule in yeah. September. And they still are ended up here in the right, the same situation the Braves were in. So they had some bad series against the Nats. They had a series against the Pirates that I think they lost two yeah. out of three. They got swept by the Cubs, didn't they? They definitely at least I can recall them losing some to the Cubs. So they they've had they've had series here where they 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 could have taken better advantage of yeah, this last definitely. few weeks. Now ultimately, if they win this series, it won't matter. It, it, it will yeah. not matter exactly. Um, but the series is so big because, again, to remind people, the Mets right now lead the Braves on the season 9-7. to seven. So if the Braves don't sweep, the Mets will have the tiebreaker. So even when the Mets, if the Braves win two out of three and tie, technically it's not tied because they're not doing a one-game one, one playoff this year. So right. they will have to beat the Mets outright in the division unless they sweep them this weekend. Then the Braves could, I guess, just completely fall apart the Marlins because they'd have a two-game lead if they swept and completely fall apart but still win the division with just magic number would be one so it is very disappointing to lose that last Nationals game because you were in the situation where even if you did not win the season series a two out of three would give you one game lead but now I, I almost would tell you that I would still pick the Mets to win the division even if the Braves win two out of three whereas if we were tied right now, I would say the Braves, whoever wins this series, does win the division. It's That's tough. That's intense, man. It's a lot. There's, that this is, is intense like camping. <laughs> I knew that. Get a laugh you, from you need, you need things to go right in this. Uh, we've we've talked about this this particular series for about a month and a half now. We knew it was going to come just down like, to this, Yeah, right? it was just kind of like, <laughs> it's so weird that in a sport where you play 162 games... You can have two teams that are this neck and neck Ugh. and have it come down to this. The only way it could be any better is if you had the Marlins now and you got to you got to host them for the last three games of the season. Uh, but no, that, that, that's too poetic. It'd be it'd be pretty awesome. It'd be pretty awesome. I don't know the whole the whole thing is insane. I I really can't wait. I really I just I yeah my, my heart my heart his heart. Yeah, his heart. My um, heart. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, I'm sure someone out there can think of them, but it's like. It, we all talk about they all add up, right? So 162 of these things. There's probably some loss that happened back in April that was mind-numbing at the time, and I've forgotten all about it because we've played 140 yeah, right. since then. Right. But there's probably, whoever loses the division, there's probably a game or two that's just going to, it's going to come back in mind and just be like, that was mind-numbingly bad, and we regret everything about that. Yeah, well, I mean, the we've, very we've talked about it against the Reds. We've talked about it this this season already. The first third <laughs> of the season, the Braves got off to that, you know, that yep. that hangover period, and you know, if if the Braves had started out normally, would this thing already be, be decided? But it's too late now. Braves Mets this weekend, Friday through Sunday, again on twelve thirty WAUD all weekend long. We got to take a break into hour number one. More football on the other side this time out, as well as at 4.30, Brian Creighton, president of Talladega Super Speedway, joins us. Don't want to miss that and more next.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call kicking off right now on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, filling in for J.J. Jackson today. He is over at the Auburn Soccer Complex. We'll be doing Auburn versus Vanderbilt at 5 o'clock. You have time to get over there. Remember, admission, admission is free. I'm joined by Cam Berry and Brent Daughtry today. We're having a lot of fun talking all things college football. We've talked a lot of Auburn LSU, just did birthdays and sports. If you want to give us a call on our Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-341, locally toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. At 4.30, we'll be joined by Brian Creighton, the president of Talladega Super Speedway. I have a great conversation lined up with him. But uh, in the meantime, let's start to look a little bit broader now in the SEC and in college football. And we'll again circle back to some more Auburn LSU in just a little bit after talking about through some things in hour number one. We even, uh, in Brant's case, drew up some things on the whiteboard here. Yeah. We were getting creative uh, with some Way formations creative. and play calls. But we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday. I remember Cam was on the show as well. Uh, but want to bring Brant in here and, and again reassert some of these uh, big games in college football coming up this weekend. The SEC has a couple of really good ones, uh, a couple of ranked matchups, and, and, and even uh, an unranked matchup that I find intriguing. Well, let's start with the two ranked matchups. Number seven, Kentucky goes to Oxford, where they will play in front of some people. Number 14, <laughs> Ole Miss, who is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. That's a big one. And then 230 on CBS, number two, Alabama, number 20, Arkansas. Arkansas, a doink away from being in the top ten. For a sure. weird doink away from being uh. in the top ten. Uh, and they, at three and one, Bama favored by 17 in that one. Uh, so what is what are you what are your guys' thoughts on these two games? What interests you more in, in just the likelihood of the home teams win, winning here? Obviously, Ole Miss is favored. But they are the lower-ranked team at 14 compared to Kentucky 7, and obviously Arkansas with an even bigger hill to climb against number 2 Alabama. I think Ole Miss and Kentucky has a, has a better chance of being a great game. Yeah, the uh, I, I don't. More. I, I think Arkansas is on the way up. They, they're not going to compete with Alabama, I don't think. Um, and I, I say this all the time. I'd be happy to be wrong. Uh, but I, just, I, don't think that, I don't think that Arkansas has what it takes to compete with Alabama right now. I think Ole Miss is still struggling enough offensively to uh, to to let Kentucky give them a game. Kentucky's a really good team. I don't know if they're the number seven team in the country, but they're really good. And Ole Miss is all they're they're both just really good teams. Neither one's going to compete for a championship, I don't think. But they're both good teams. 
and, and I would love to see I, I can't wait to watch this game because I feel like these both of these coaches, uh, if not both of these schools, are both competing to be next man up, to be the next yeah. big game yeah. in the Southeastern Conference. And this one could go a long way in deciding which one of these guys kind of takes over uh, when Saban <laughs> retires or when Smart – I don't know what's, what Kirby Smart's going to do. <laughs> he's he's going to be there yeah. for a Kirby while. Kirby Smart is locked in. Yeah. Uh, so I, I – but – the, the, to kind of be the the next man up, and this might be the battle to decide who takes over. Yeah, I, and you know, if going not back these to, schools, then these coaches. Right, going back to Wednesday, um, you know, we had that conversation of which game do you think was more appealing, Brant, and so that was something that we we posed, and we Ryan and I both said that Kentucky and Ole Miss is a game that is just going to be more appealing in the terms of both of these teams are some are teams that are not used to being really good in the SEC. Um, teams that are consistently fighting for respect, especially Kentucky. Kentucky has no real history of being a successful program. Um, and now they're seventh in the nation, which is, I mean, you know, you're saying you don't see it, but, I, you know. Somebody's got to be ranked somebody's seventh. Somebody's got to be ranked seventh, and, and they've been playing very well. So, you know what? Props to them, and they're going to continue to try and fight and and earn that that seven ranking and and say, you know what? They they deserve to stand to be to be there. Um Going into going into Ole Miss, going into Oxford, that'll definitely be a step in the right direction. Um, and for Ole Miss, it's just protecting home territory and and getting an upset win against a a very what seems to be a very good opponent, um, and just seeing where it goes from there. Yeah, I think this game is really interesting. And again, we've got to we got to process this in two ways. Yes, how it is currently constructed with the way college football works, but also with the way it will work starting in a couple of years because this is the type of game that right now we're talking about, oh, yeah, can you be the runner-up or can you right. be the runner-up to the runner-up? Can you be the number four team in the league, number three team in the league, that sort of thing? We know how good Georgia and Alabama, they, how good they are and how good they have been. But in a few years, whether you're seventh or 14th will mean a lot. Yeah. It will mean a whole oh, lot. Oh, yeah. And, and so <clears throat> this is the type of team or type of situation – that all of a sudden is playing for a lot more in a couple of years because we know that six conferences will get an automatic bid. So that's an SEC team and then five other conferences. And then there's six at-large slots. And I'd be willing to bet that a couple of them, maybe even three, would be SEC teams yeah. in most years. You're looking at mm -hmm. three, maybe four yeah. total SEC teams. So all of a sudden, there's Alabama and Georgia, as there's been for a long time. But then there's space for at least one, maybe two, given the year, given what's going on. And so this is that type of game this year because you look at Ole Miss last year. Ole Miss makes a New Year's Six Bowl for the yep. first time. That was a big achievement for them. They're Huge. trying to have another similar type of year, too. If you establish that multiple years in a row, you're starting to at least – I'm not going to say a world of space, but you're starting to put yourself at least above some of the other programs, at least right now, in contention for doing that. Um, Kentucky's been a big story here recently just because of how long Mark Stoops has been there. He's the second longest tenured head coach in the SEC behind Man. Nick Saban. And Kentucky's had this just slow, gradual plod towards That's relevancy. That's what you get when you stick with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cautionary tale for others. Um, it, it really is so impressive what Mark Stoops has yeah. done there because it was what, 10, 11, maybe 12 years ago, they were seen as equivalent to Vanderbilt. Yeah, they, they, they were on the same level. Yeah, maybe even below during the uh, James Franklin. James Franklin, thank you. During the James Franklin years, 
well, of course, that time Vanderbilt was seen as kind of a contender for the East. That was how bad the East was. But it is very it is very impressive what Mark Stoops has been able to do there. And so this game means means a lot, I, I think, because it's not always about the now for me. I know that's how sports yeah. have worked in general, but I'm just projecting this down the line. And means for where these programs are are trending. Exactly, yeah. and these are and this is why it's hard for teams like Auburn and Tennessee because I know Tennessee is now coming back. It appears, yep. but these traditionally sixth, fifth, seventh place teams in the SEC are now watching these traditional 9th, 10th, 12th place teams have their day right now. And at a time where it's important to have your day because it will be even cooler, it'll be an even bigger deal to just be the number 11 team in the country here in a few years. I mean, there's times where programs are not very even happy with it. They, They come into a year, either they've been a top program for a long time and they underperform or they're a team that just this could be the year they've got everything put together they could be a top five team and then they finish nine and three or ten and two and they're That's low teens and you're right, like oh right. that was a disappointment right. but it, all of a sudden it won't be as big of a disappointment in a few years so i guess my my stance here is not even think analytically about this game i think it'll be a close game it's two very different styles but it's just like, hey, this is a point where if you're in the Southeastern Conference, you have a chance, unless your name is Vanderbilt. You have a chance, you have your day of being potentially this good, and people will recognize you because the SEC has that sort of prestige. One point I want to make on Bama and Arkansas before we move on to one other SEC game. I'm going to ignore Georgia-Missouri, by the way. Georgia will win that game by a lot. Yeah. Uh, thanks for trying, Eli Drinkwitz. Um And, yes, that sounds disrespectful. Will Kirby Smart I, get two coaches fired two weeks in a row? <laughs> it's a good prop bet, Brad. It's a good prop bet. Um, this the one thing that interests me about Alabama and Arkansas is if you read anything into last year's performance, and there's there's ways to look at this and, and say it means absolutely nothing. There's ways to, to have some hope. Arkansas played Alabama pretty well in Tuscaloosa last year. They only lost forty two to thirty five. I do kind of feel like it was a two possession game for most of it. I think it was one of those things where Arkansas maybe scored with oh, three late. or four minutes right, left right. to make it seven. They couldn't get the stop to get back, or maybe I I can actually think of K.J. throwing a Hail Mary, actually. So maybe they did get one one small crack at it. But the the thing that gives you hope there is that you're at, you are at Arkansas. I'm not grading – I'm not really changing my opinion of Arkansas based on the Texas A&M game because if you look at that game, they lost because yeah, of freak a things. Couple, a couple of if crazy plays K.J. Jefferson right. does not think that – Cam Newton is within him, you know, when he leaps from the five or six yard line oh, and fumbles. Can we so can we stop smart. comparing every like big, big bodied mobile quarterback? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I've not done it. Black. Uh, yes. I'm I'm yeah. I'm not doing that. I I I'm with you. But I'm not. Not Cam Newton's one of a kind. You'll he see him again. Definitely felt like and, he had that spirit though. Yeah, <laughs> he you, tried it. He you tried will, it. You will see a Cam Newton like player in thirty or forty years. It's a once in a generation yeah. type of thing. Um, and so. The, the reality, though, is if Jefferson just does anything else, it's at least 10 points because yeah. they're going to get at least a field goal that drive, and A&M will not get a touchdown. Yeah. Right. And then you consider one of the weirdest missed field goals I've ever seen. Yes. And so you missed – you lost that game because of freak things. So I'm not ready to say Arkansas is not as good as we thought. The reality is one or two of these teams will not be as good as we thought. They will lose more games than we thought. But 
I do think Arkansas is still a quality team. And I, we do also know that Alabama has had a lot of trouble on the road the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Last year they were not particularly good on the road, for, especially for their standards. I mean, you're still only losing one road game. I don't think yeah. everyone's going to have a Struggled cow about Texas. it. Texas. Right, but you, you, last year you, you lose to A&M. You almost had to get overtime with Florida, which ended up being a bad Florida team. Uh, you almost lost the Iron Bowl to Auburn, obviously, in a very low-scoring game that was atypical of a, of a Heisman-winning quarterback. And now this year, your first time out, you you barely got by Texas, had to make a, a late field goal there. And so, anyway, Alabama has not been very good on the road here as of late. Now, that could change on a whim. It could change in one moment. But I think there's at least signs that Arkansas can hang. But again, when you've not done something, and Nick Saban's been there since 2007, it's the same problem. It's going to be a mental block when Tennessee plays Alabama. Everything screams that that could be the one game Alabama loses. Alabama usually does lose a right, game in right. the regular season. It does not hinder them from their postseason aspirations. But everything would point to that Tennessee game coming up. In, in and sure. I think it's next week, actually. Third, or excuse me, two weeks. Yes, two yeah, weeks. It's, it'll be yes, the weekend yes. of the 14th third, or 15th. Third like. Saturday in October. Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be the 15th. Yeah. Um, everything would point to that would make a lot of sense. Tennessee has a relationally good offense. So it might be a top 10 team in the country. It'll be in Knoxville. But they've not beaten Nick Saban. And it just, yeah. it's the same thing with Arkansas this week. It's just it's getting over that initial hill that's so difficult for some of these teams. Yeah, and unfortunately, I just don't see it happening this year. As as much as you want it to happen, Arkansas, I think they have a good team, like you said, Ryan. You know, if they they probably win that Texas A&M game, if not for a couple of freak things happening. Um, but you know, Bama's still Bama. I think they might have a little bit of struggles early on the road, but I think eventually they're just going to kind of end up locking in and and doing what they do and maybe not winning by a crazy wide margin but I could definitely see about 10 to 14 points yeah I I see this game kind of being close for a half yeah maybe a half and a half a quarter you know but I I see Alabama pulling away towards the end then halftime happens Saban goes in yells you know yells at them till his face turns red then they come out and dominate what are you doing I (laughs) quit doing (laughs) um again so important going the whole time (laughs) It's so important to start well for Arkansas. It used to be important to start well against Alabama so you didn't get blown out. You need like, yeah. can we have a seven to a ten type of games where we don't lose by forty, you only lose by twenty? But now that you're showing you can play close with Alabama when you're at home, they've got to start strong, shaking off the the ghost of last week of losing the A and M. So important for Arkansas to get their fans into it early. And look, now that Alabama, like I said, has been having some roads problems, maybe you can affect them with some noise. Maybe you can get them off kilter. But you got to start strong in order to keep everyone interested. Last SEC game I want to talk about before we take our break, and then we eventually get to Brian Creighton, of president of Talladega Super Speedway, is this Texas A&M-Mississippi State game. It is not a ranked game, uh, but Texas A&M at number 17, Mississippi State hosting them. You're always going to get excited about a quality team that hosts a ranked team. That's always going right. to be... Your Big ears matchup. perk up a little bit. Yep. And Mississippi State is favored by four here. They are in- expected by Vegas to win this football game. So do you agree with Vegas? Do you think Mississippi State is the favorite at home here? Uh, I mean, I, I think Texas A&M is the better team. Um, at home, it's definitely going to be interesting. I think those Cowboys are going to be crazy annoying like they always are. Um, and I, I – th- I can I I almost want to side with Tom when he talks about the Jimbo effect, but I 
I'm I'm gonna go with Texas A&M here. I still think they're gonna end up winning, um, but I think Mississippi State is gonna make it a game. I I personally have no idea. I the two head coaches here. <laughs> I I think you have the most interesting matchup of just Facts. bizarre head coaches Facts. because I don't think anybody is more volatile than Jimbo Fisher, and I don't think anybody is more of a known commodity than Mike Leach. Mike Leach is going to give you seven eight wins a year in the SEC. He's going to be good. To, to okay, but he's never going to beat Not the great, great teams. He's yeah. never going to compete for a championship here, I don't think. Um, and Jimbo Fisher has the ability to win a national championship, but he also has the ability to go and lose set, to App State. Yeah, lose an App State, go six and six on the year. Uh, he has the ability for, for just a wide range of possibilities. So this is such a weird, weird game to me. I'm going to give the edge to Mississippi State because I think they're up right now. And I think Texas A&M is down. Uh, and like you said, they are hosting. So I'm going to give the edge to Mississippi State. But this this is a this is a what in the world is going to happen here game. This to me feels like one of the lowest scoring games possibly of the season in the SEC. Because some, some misconception about Mississippi State's offense is that because it's a passing offense, it's this high scoring, look at this, wow stuff. Mississippi State, and I alluded to this earlier, with Wilt Rogers having about six yards of completion of the week. That's a little low even for them. They they want to throw three times to make ten yards. Yes. Yeah, and they're sure. going to complete two of them for five to eight yards and be perfectly fine with that. They are a plodding offense. I know everything about passing at 50 times a game does not seem slow and plodding, but that's exactly what they want to do. Just to wear you down. They don't score a ton of points against bad teams because, again, Here's this great nine-yard completion, and oh, look, give me give me this eight-yard completion. Um, but I do think with this game, it's going to come down to can A&M find a moment, a momentum breaker, or something offensively, a big play? Because all, off, all season long, they're just going to be offensively challenged. I just don't see them all of a sudden starting to score 38 points a game. I yeah. just don't see that. Yeah, so especially the, losing their, I think their top wide receiver Smith, Anaya Anaya Smith. Smith. Yeah. yeah, he's done for the season, so that's huge big loss, loss for them. And so it's going to be up to Devin Achane. Uh, yep, and Max Johnson game managing. And so I guess what I'm saying is, when State scores to make it ten to seven in the third quarter, what's that <laughs> next? What's that next drive like for A and M? What what's what's that drive like when when A and M forces a turnover? Like it or Will Rogers sack fumble. What's that possession like? Right. Because it's those moments for the weak offenses that you have to take advantage of. Have to. AM could have had a short fumble return against Arkansas. Oh, Arkansas's off the board, but now you gotta go 75, 80 yards. Instead The dude hands make, it off in the yeah, middle of the play. And they make it make a touch they score a touchdown off that. Right. They only had what was that score? They only had one, one. offensive touchdown? Yeah. yeah, just one. So again, I just don't see – if you get to 20, I feel so confident about you in this game. It's going to be a very low-scoring game, but pretty important for both sides. A&M doesn't need to get a second loss when they have the aspirations like they do in the Mississippi State. They're thinking about trying to make a bowl game. Don't want to take another loss here uh, this early in conference play against a team that is beatable. That will lead us to our next break. On the other side, we will be talking to Brian Creighton. We've got a pre-recorded interview here with Brian Creighton president of Talladega Super Speedway. He's going to talk about all the events going on at Talladega this weekend, why you should come out to the race, 
and the exciting nature of Talladega, as they often say associated with Talladega, this is Talladega. He'll talk about what that means and more coming up after this break. We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back into Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson, Ryan LaVoy, and Brooks Childress here inside our studio. And we're honored to be chatting with Brian Creighton, the president of Talladega Super Speedway, ahead of a very exciting weekend here in the state of Alabama. Brian, thanks so much for the time. How are you doing? I'm doing really, really well, and thank you for having me on today. Busy week for you, I would imagine, with uh, all the fun events coming up this weekend. It is, yeah. We actually started loading in our campgrounds uh, this past Monday, uh, and we had people staged the Thursday before trying to get into our campgrounds. So there's a lot of passion for NASCAR in the state, and uh, actually all 50 states will be represented this week this weekend out here at Talladega Super Speedway, and 22 different countries are coming to Talladega. So uh, it's a worldwide event, and uh, it's uh, the weather looks spot-on perfect, so we're excited about it. That's so crazy to think about. NASCAR returning to Talladega for a playoffs triple header this weekend, Sunday featuring the Cup Series Yellowwood 500. Uh, it's the round of 12 in the playoffs, and also on Saturday, a doubleheader with the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series playoff race, as well as the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff race. You've got playoff racing this weekend, a lot up for grabs, Brian. We do, yeah. As you mentioned, that two on Saturday, uh, you know, with the Truck Series and, and then the Xfinity Series. Uh, and then there's, uh, you know, a little football game happening down there at, uh, at uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium. Uh, so this is like an ultimate sports weekend in the area, you know, taking some racing, taking a great football game, and, uh, you know, just uh, enjoy it all. But, yeah, the playoffs at Talladega, it always ramps it up. Uh, the racing here at Talladega, just for our spring race or any race, uh, the excitement is high, the 200-mile-an-hour, two, three, four wide sometimes racing is just the edge of your seat just watching them. And when you add playoffs into the mix and you add if the winner, you know, the winner will move on to the next round. And, and so it just amplifies everything and it just ramps everything up. So it's going to be uh, some amazing racing during the weekend. And obviously, Brian, this weekend is about the racing, but also about the experience. And we hear all these uh, incredible stories from the campgrounds and uh, from the Talladega infield. And, and you've got quite the list of events going on uh, outside of just the racing. Talk a little bit about what all is going on in the Talladega infield and the campgrounds and that sort of thing. Yeah, we do. One of our mottos here at Talladega is this is more than a race. This is Talladega, just because of all those extra activities that happen. As I mentioned, campers uh, started loading in on uh, on Monday. We've got 2,700 RV spots in our infield, and they are completely sold out. Uh, so on Friday night, we actually have a rodeo. We have a rodeo that goes on inside of our infield, full on bull riding. Uh, the, the clowns that do the uh, the bull the bullfighting, and those guys are crazy, by the way. <laughs> 
Um, but it's just, uh, you know, it, it, it's an awesome uh, rodeo that we kick things off with on Friday night. We have about a 15-minute fireworks show, so all of the campers uh, spread across our 2,000 acres out here at Talladega Super Show. see this amazing fireworks show. Uh, and then tomorrow night, Saturday night, we've got a uh, free concert for anybody who has a Sunday ticket or an infield pass, and that's with Bailey Zimmerman and Chase Rice. So Chase Rice actually used to be a uh, pit crew member on the Hendrick team, played football at the University of North Carolina, and was actually a Survivor contestant on that TV show. So uh, it's a, a well-rounded uh, musician. Not to mention being a graduate of A.C. Reynolds High School in Asheville, North Carolina, much like myself, Brian. So uh, uh, really excited they, to see Chase Rice performing there this weekend at Talladega. That's awesome. Yeah, add one, one more to the list of his bio, so we'll make sure we get that uh, uh, updated on Wikipedia. We love to proudly rep Asheville, North Carolina, that's for sure. All right, Brian Crichton is our guest here, the president of the Talladega Super Speedway, and I just want to talk a little bit about the size of the venue, and I saw Yellowwood post a graphic yesterday, Brian, that you know we love talking SEC football. We do it every hour of the program, five days a week, and you mentioned the Auburn and LSU game coming up this weekend. You could fit all 14 SEC stadiums in the infield of Talladega. I never would have thought that that would be possible. I don't know why that would have ever occupied the space in my brain, but just seeing the visual of that laid out was just astounding to truly get an idea of how large that infield is. Yeah, it is. We are, uh, we're the biggest, the baddest, and the fastest racetrack on the planet. We're uh, 2.66 miles uh, around, you know, for, for one lap around, which just makes that infield just massive. And as you, you look at that graphic, too, I think we might even be able to, when the SEC expands to a couple more teams in a couple years, <laughs> I think we might be able to fit those two other stadiums inside of our infield. But, yeah, right now we've got all 14 um, SEC football stadiums that we can, uh, you know, place inside of our infield. Uh, it is a massive place, but a very, very special place. Brian, you mentioned a little bit ago all the events that are going on this week, and associate, not including the racing on the track, but I wanted to get your opinion. If you were talking to someone that's never been to Talladega before and you say, you've got to do blank, what is it? You have got to do the Talladega Garage experience. So back in uh, October of 2019, we, de- we debuted a $50 million project, and we basically built this amusement park around the garages. The number one question we get is, how can I be in the garages? Well, with a competition space, you know, you can't put all the fans inside of the garages. Um, so what we did is we built the garages as part of this fan experience. So you can actually walk under the same roof. Um, the only thing that uh, separates you from from the race car is about a four foot high uh, fence uh, and then about five or six feet. So the race car is right there. Uh, the drivers are there. The crew chiefs are there. The, the crews are there. They interact with the fans. So it really is a truly interactive area. We have a 37,000 square foot open air uh, venue called Big Bills has a 41 foot diagonal um, uh, screen uh, TV there, 100 foot long bar. Uh, we have a game zone. We have a kids zone. Uh, we have question and answer sessions on one of our stages in there. Victory Lane is part of Talladega Garage Experience, so you can see all of the you know celebrations that happen after each race. Uh, and we also have value price concessions in there: two dollar bottles of water, two dollar Coke products, uh, two dollar hot dogs, four dollars for a sixteen ounce uh, beer, uh, you know four dollars for a cheeseburger and French fries. You can eat cheaper in Talladega Garage Experience than you can at McDonald's. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's outstanding. We'll have to check it out for sure. And if folks going this weekend, be sure to check out that garage experience as well. Our guest right now, Brian Crichton, the president of the Talladega Super Speedway. Let's talk a little bit more about the racing that's set to take place this weekend. And again, speaking to a mainly college football audience, but we do have a lot of NASCAR enthusiasts mixed in there and that sort of thing. For those unaware, why does it always feel like Talladega puts together the most competitive racing? What is it about your tracks in particular? What is it about the events each and every year, Brian, that make the event so competitive? Yeah, it, it, it the the racetrack for sure. You know, we're we're the steepest. You know, as I mentioned earlier, we're the the largest, we're the widest. Um, you're at 33 degrees of banking. You don't understand. I mean, you can say 33 degrees, and you can kind of look at a protractor and kind of see what 33 degrees probably looks like. But until you get out here and you see it, it's like this wall, and it's <laughs> about three stories tall. It's about 75 feet from uh, from our safer barrier down to the double yellow line, which uh, you know provides that three and sometimes. Four wide racing. Uh, it's uh, you know the speeds of 200 miles an hour. Uh, they run the super speedway package here, uh, which keeps them around that 200 mile an hour um, range. Because if they didn't have that tapered spacer uh, on the engines, they could probably get up to about 225. And so we like to kind of keep them around 200, which then you know causes the pack. It causes the pack of the cars that are going around. Um, and, and so it, that's why it's you know one of the most com- it is the most competitive. Uh, racetrack that's out there and brian along those lines i mean it seems that fans have always loved uh drafting tracks and we've seen nascar uh, here in recent years make atlanta into a drafting track but talladega during all this schedule change and, and, and all these playoff tracks kind of moving around a little bit they've always had a spring date they've always had a fall date and they've had this playoff race so talk about how uh, special it's been to maintain those two dates for the schedule to still be going to Talladega twice and also to have be the only drafting track in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, Talladega Super Speedway, it's iconic. As I mentioned earlier, you know, 50, all 50 states are going to be represented. 22 different countries are, are, you know, going to be here. It's a worldwide brand. It's a worldwide, you know, event that happens. I joke around and I say, uh, you know, Eric Church doesn't write a song about insert, you know, racetrack here. You know, he writes a song about Talladega Super Speedway. So that's how special this this place is. Um, you know, the, it's it, it means a lot to NASCAR, the history, the tradition. Tradition, um, that's been built up uh, at Talladega Super Speedway since 1969, and just the excitement, the excitement that it provides, and you know, just the the, the fans that come out here and support Talladega. Um, over 70% of our fans come from outside the state of Alabama, so we're driving that clean, you know, tourism dollar back into our sp- into our state that helps those economic engines run as well. So um, we continue to work with NASCAR. NASCAR, is, as you guys uh, might know, have made a lot of changes in the schedule. Over the last couple of years, you know, they kicked off this year at the um, Coliseum out in uh, at USC in, in Southern California. Uh, next year, they're going to a street course uh, race up in Chicago, um, and they've changed the schedule around a little bit because they're looking to have that dynamic schedule. They're looking to have, you know, get into new markets and create that excitement. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing our sales this weekend just through the roof. Um, television ratings are up. Uh, NASCAR is just doing a great, great job of you know having that dynamic schedule and uh, you know we feel Talladega Super Speedway we always have those two races but we don't sit back on our laurels and just hope you know hope's not a strategy so we continue to work and work and work and make sure that this is uh, you know one of those must-see and must-stop races on the tour. 
For you personally, do you have a favorite Talladega race moment or, or at least a moment that perfectly encapsulates the, the experience of racing at Talladega? So, yes, I do. So I started uh, in NASCAR back in uh, 2000, and I was actually up at Chicago Land Speedway, helped open up that facility back then. And one of the first races I came to uh, was the October 2000 race, and that was the race that was Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s final victory, unfortunately, before the uh, you know um, 2001 Daytona 500. Um, and he came from about 18 spots back in about three laps to win that race. And so, you know, just seeing that, seeing the excitement, seeing the crowd just go nuts, you know, for Dale Earnhardt Sr. And then uh, to be part of Victory Lane, um, you know, was just so, so special. And that's like one of those memories that's just etched in my mind, and I'll never forget it. But, you know, every single race weekend always always uh, gives you great memories. But that's the one that, without a doubt, you know, really stands out because it was my first race here and, and, you know, all the meaning, you know, for Dale Earnhardt Sr. So talking about the Yellowwood 500 coming up on Sunday in that Cup Series race and talking more about the racing specifics, Brian, what are the big storylines? What are the names? Who are the uh, favorites uh, that uh, folks should be on the lookout for this weekend? Yeah, so you've got your, uh, the, you know, this is the uh, round of 12, so you have 12 playoff drivers, uh, you know, that are uh, looking to get to uh, to the next round. You win and you're in, so to speak, and you get to the round of eight. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, you know, those those 12 are, are definitely going to be uh, real competitive and real racy, uh, whether it's coming up to a stage end or, or, you know, of course, a checkered flag at the end. You know, I think you look back at uh, Daytona and you look back at uh, our races, this is our race back in April, um, you know, the Penske's car are always strong so you're you know Joey Logano uh, Ryan Blaney um, you know you look at those guys to be strong here um, the Hendrick camp is, is always strong at super speedway racing as well the Chevys um, so you know, Denny Hamlin in the Toyota so I mean it's just that that that's one of the great things about Talladega super speedway is you know they call it the wild card for a reason because you know truly anybody can win we've had the most first-time winners you know, uh, in, in all of NASCAR here at Talladega Super Speedway. Um, so it, it could end up being another non-playoff driver that wins this race. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that happens too. So, um, you know, that's just uh, one of the special, special things about Talladega is you just don't know who's going to be, you know, in victory lane until that checker flag waves. Brian Creighton, our guest, the president of the Talladega Super Speedway. Big racing weekend coming up here in the state. And as we mentioned, uh, another big weekend of SEC football as well here on the Plains with Auburn getting set to take on LSU. Uh, with that in mind and knowing that there is a large portion of the crowd that's still got their football uh, that they need to watch each and every day, Talladega Super Speedway, it's not like this thing just pops up twice a year, Brian. What else goes on throughout the year, so to speak, when it's not necessarily these race weekends? Yeah, we have multiple different events. These are obviously our two large spectator events that we have, but we have a NASCAR racing experience that comes in probably about 50 week or 50 dates out of the year. Uh, so you can actually drive a race car, or you can ride shotgun with uh, one of the wow. NASCAR racing experience drivers, and they'll get you up about 180 miles an hour, and they'll put you pretty close to the wall. They'll uh, they'll definitely give you an experience that you've never uh, had before. Uh, we do some different testing here. We do a lot of local community 
community events uh, here at Talladega Super Speedway, just, you know, continuing to work with our uh, our local communities. We'll do four uh, events a year where you can actually drive your own car around our racetrack, around Talladega <laughs> Super Speedway. So we pace the field, um, but, you know, for a $50 donation, and that money goes back to uh, local charities here, you can actually take three laps around Talladega Super Speedway, and you can truly feel the 33 degrees of banking. Like I mentioned earlier, you can talk about it, you can think about it, you can try to visualize it, but until you're here, until you see it, or if you're actually in a car on it, it is just one of the you know experiences you'll never, ever forget. we got to get out there. It's Brian Creighton again joining us on the program and a big racing weekend here, and then uh, plenty of other reasons throughout the year to go check out the Talladega Super Speedway here in our state. Brian, the time has been greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for coming on our sports talk show today. Well, thank you for having me on, and War Eagle, my uh, senior in high school, is applying, and so he hopes to hear there we go. Uh, in about 15 days uh, the, if, if he makes it in. So uh, uh, he, wants, he wants to be a, uh, a tiger down there in Auburn, and uh, so that's where our family is too. So War Eagle, and thank you very much for having me on. War Eagle, indeed. Thanks for the time. That's Brian Creighton. He's joining us here on Sports Call. J.J. Jackson and the guys want to hear from you. Give them a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on this Friday afternoon. Last segment of our number two. Ryan LaVoy, Canberry, Brant Dontry with you here. You just heard the host of the fine program, J.J. Jackson, and Brooks Childress with me on that interview. With Brian Creighton earlier, president of Talladega Super Speedway. That was a fun conversation to have. Of course, you heard at the end he mentioned uh, his uh, son applying to Auburn and uh, gave us a war eagle there. and Also very aware of just there's certain things where you can tell if someone is from a place or is aware of a place like for example jj gets really mad because it's the appalachian mountains and some people say appalachian oh my but it's gosh. but you know it's one of those things that you have to yeah. kind of know no the area, area a little yeah. bit um and so he if you heard early he made reference to auburn's football stadium and called it jordan hare stadium which of course after ralph shug jordan Although, to everyone and their mother, you would think, oh, yeah, it's Jordan. That's J-O-R-D-A-N. It's most walks of life, that's Jordan. But it mm-hmm. was pronounced Jordan. And so there you go. So His first name, or his nickname was pronounced weird, too. It's S-U, it's S-H-U-G. Sounds uh, like Shug. Yeah, but Shug. Shug Jordan. Everything about that man. <laughs> good but, football coach. But yeah, absolutely. But uh, good conversation there. Of course, Talladega this weekend, we had the pleasure of... Uh, talking to Chris Busher uh, earlier in the week. And so uh, it really um, had a, have had a great experience talking to those guys at NASCAR this week and going to be a big race. I know you guys aren't much into the sport, but 
I do remember last year, I was very proud of this, and it's okay, it did not get Cam interested in it, in it and that's fine. <laughs> but you saw the end of a Talladega race last year where Ryan Blaney won it, and there was four wide, and they were oh, wrecking yeah, coming yeah, to checker. Yeah. And I was like, that, Cam, that's why it's worth it, right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, four wide coming the checker flag, and everybody behind just spinning out. And, and that's kind of the chaos that en- ensues at Talladega. So that's kind of the best part of racing. Drivers hate it, by the way. And I didn't really want to bring up the subject with Chris Buescher too much, but some drivers really hate it. Joey Logano's been on record saying he does not like it because they go at these fast speeds and they take hard hits when they do wreck. And, of course, when they wreck, it's it's more often. It's it's way more often here because they're so close proximity. They collect more cars. It's not single-car accidents. Usually it's five, six, seven, ten cars. Um, But it is a lot of fun for fans because – you do have your great drivers Ricky. that do win it, but you have random people win it too. Yeah. And so it keeps everyone in play. It's a good equalizer. He's talking about the restricted plate, keeping them down to around 200 miles per hour, even though they could go to 220 if they didn't have that piece of metal, essentially. So anyway, Day coming up this weekend, a big event. We were very appreciative of Brian Creighton for coming on the show. That'll do it for hour number two. On the other side of this break, hour number three coming up the last hour of this week of Sports Call, we will talk some National Football League. We'll also talk some more Auburn LSU, give our picks for that game at 6 o'clock inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium tomorrow night. So we'll give final predictions on that. With Cam Berry and Brant Daughtry, I'm Ryan LaVoy. Stick around for hour number three coming up in a moment. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour number three, final hour of the week of Sports Call, coming to you live from our studios in South College Street. I'm Ryan LaVoy filling in for J.J. Jackson, who is calling Auburn Soccer, which should be kicking off right now in the Auburn Soccer Complex. I'm joined by Cam Berry and Brant Daughtry. We've been having a lot of fun here in the first couple of hours. We've talked a, a good bit about Auburn and LSU. That was in hour number one. If you're going back and listening to the Sports Call podcast, 
or or plan to later. Uh, we also talked uh, a little birthdays and sports as we always do. Brian Creighton joined us in hour number two, president of Talladega Super Speedway. We've also talked a little bit about the Braves and the Mets as their big series gets going here in just a little over an hour. And uh, now, and we've also talked some college football in the SEC. We talked the Ole Miss-Kentucky game, the Alabama-Arkansas game, and the Mississippi State-Texas A&M game. So, with that in mind here in hour number three, want to talk just briefly about the National Football League for just a little bit and preview. brief? Because our audience, Cam, because we have a lot of Auburn fans that would like to hear about Auburn. I guess. Now, we have Auburn ties in the NFL, and those are always fun to talk about. We are proud affiliate of the Atlanta Falcons, so that is why we talk a little bit of football, but also this is sports call Auburn. So at the end of the day, we will, we will go back to Auburn. So we'll have a little bit more on Auburn LSU coming up after this, but do want to mention the NFL another weekend as the Atlanta Falcons play the Cleveland Browns this weekend. Of course, you can listen to that game on our airwaves, Tiger 95.9 on Sunday. Uh, preview this Falcons game for us, Cam, and what they've got uh, ahead of them with the Browns. Uh, facing, kind of kind of touched on a little bit earlier in my introduction, just, um, you know, some some injuries that are going to definitely play a part in how this game's played. Miles um, Garrett and, and Jadavian Clowney are, I'm pretty sure, both questionable. Um, Garrett suffered a he was in a car accident early this week um, and so he's still kind of recovering from that Um, but he's saying he wants to be cleared to play so he wants to play if he's cleared so um, that that's just going to play a big part in how uh, how Atlanta's run game goes and already you know the the Browns already have a run game that's dominant in themselves so uh, they have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and that's just you know going to be tough to face that one two punch is just probably the best in the league um, and so just containing them is, is probably going to be the number one priority, but also you can't forget, can't forget on the outside, they still have Amari Cooper, who is an extremely talented wide receiver. Um, and he's got back to, he's coming off back to back hundred yard games. Um, so you just got to kind of keep that in mind. AJ Terrell is probably going to catch that assignment, um, and see how well he does against that. That's just kind of something that you want to look out for. Um, but like like I said, the they they want to the Browns want to focus on the run game. So and the the Falcons have been pretty decent uh, against the run. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say pretty pretty middle of the road against the run. Uh, just got to see if the offensive line is going to be able to hold up, and it might be better if they can hold up if they don't have to face Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett. Um, Cordero Patterson is questionable, and so that's going to be something that is definitely going to change the flow of the game because. Cordero's been our most effective rusher. Who is the back? Is it Hill? It would be. It would probably Tyler be Tyler Algier. Yeah, Tyler oh, Algier, Algier would probably be be the backup. He's a rookie out of BYU. Hill I believe. Is still there? Is no, is he's Hill? not. Okay. He's not there anymore. Which is, uh, I think he's now on the Cowboys practice squad. Some, okay. Somewhere, yeah. But he so, was the number three. back. Yeah, he so was the number one, yeah. three, number three back, uh, and he was really good. But lost him, and uh, so now now it's going to be Tyler Algier. Uh, who's going to probably catch most of the carries if if uh, Cordero is not able to go. But I, th- I think he's going to be able to play. Um, they've been resting him throughout the week. So it, we just have to see Drake London's hopefully hopefully going to have an, another good game. And we want to see more Kyle Pitts, more Kyle Pitts. Just I can say that over and over and over, more Kyle Pitts. Um, so that's pretty much all I got. And, and if Mariota can just kind of kind of tone down on his slight small mistakes, maybe hit on a couple deep throws I'd like to see other than that. Uh, this will be a definitely an interesting game. I, I don't really see, you know, I don't, I don't know. I picked the Falcons to win in, in, in our, 
in our weekly pick, but it could really go either way because the Browns are pretty good, but the Falcons are not terrible. So what do you got, Brant? Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think this game's more about uh, Atlanta than it is Cleveland. I think Atlanta can win, but can they play yeah. cleanly, especially Agreed. on offense? Yes. you got to cut down on the turnovers, um, especially – and look, the turnover that happened last week, that was not on Marcus Mariota. That was on Algier, and that's something that if he does get more touches this week, he's going to have to learn how to take a read option handoff as opposed right. to just a regular handoff. You know, right. there's you've got to take those differently. So I, I like – what Atlanta's doing, I do. Th- I, I saw someone the other day say this. I think um, Marcus Mariota is holding back the offense a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing is, I don't think that Desmond Ritter is ready, not ready to push it forward. Now he might be, and Atlanta may make that decision at some point. And if Desmond Ritter is better than Marcus Mariota and he can perform better, then Atlanta's offense suddenly gets really scary. Now, the, not having Cordero Patterson is an issue, but I've been really impressed over the past. Three, uh, since the season started, the way they're involving Cordero Patterson, Drake London, and Kyle yeah. Pitts. You've got three absolutely massive super athletes right there. And the way that Arthur Smith is using those three guys in tandem with each other and creating matchup issues when you've got three guys that are that big and that fast, it is an issue. And Arthur Smith is taking advantage of that, and I've been really impressed. I'm curious to see... If Cordero Patterson cannot go, or if he cannot go as much as he is used to going, right? Wh- how much can Tyler yeah, Algier yeah. do? Because he is not six three two thirty. Like, um, he's a bowling ball though. He's he's big. Yeah. He's a he's a stout running he's a power back. back for sure. But he is not a Cordero Patterson. No, and few not. are, few are. You're not expecting that. But I, I'll be interested to see how that looks. Uh, I want to see receiving production from somebody not named Drake London or Kyle Pitts, I think. Alameda Zacchaeus has been okay. Yeah. He has not been great. Uh, and he was pretty great for a number three last year, and I want to see him return to that form. Yeah. I, I'm very interested to see if Calvin Ridley stays in Atlanta. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask this. you. Yeah. I was going to say, because imagine this offense with Calvin Ridley. You can you can interchange. It, you probably want Calvin Ridley as your number two, not really your number one, and put Drake as your number one. But if you have that... Uh, oh my goodness! I think well, there there's two uh, very oh different my. receivers, and I think it yes, it uh, depends sure. on where you are and what you're trying to do on a specific play. Which guy is your number one, and which guy is your number two? And that's a great place to be in. Oh. Uh, and I, Arthur Smith has shown me enough from an X's and O's standpoint that I think that he knows how to take advantage of that. So if Calvin Ridley does come back to Atlanta, uh, even though it looked like it, he was pretty much gone, uh, there seems to be some momentum to him coming back. I'm still not sure. Nobody is, I think, but obviously uh, it's not going to be this year, right? 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 But, right. but we're looking to the future. Not You've trading, got right. so much young talent oh on that football t- on that football team offensively, and the way the offensive line has looked has has been really impressive. Because yes. I I put a lot of hate towards the Falcons' offensive line, the same way I've done it to Auburn's off- offensive line over the past couple of seasons. Jalen Mayfield gets hurt. Can't start the year, and all of a sudden yeah. the offensive line just, just looks, looks way so better. much better yeah. without him. Uh, and you know, it, I, I'm happy with the offensive line play of the I Atlanta Falcons well. for the first time in a long time. So Very hopefully happy. that can keep up. Uh, who you've got Hennessy starting at center. Yeah. You've got uh, Chris Lindstrom as that other Lindstrom guard. Also and very good. Jake Matthews has been playing for you for forever, Overliable. and he's never been just a superstar. He's never been as good as 
He uh, he was drafted so high, and he, he, he's never really panned out. But huh? he's been steady. He's been good. He hasn't made. I think he's made one or two Pro Bowls. Yeah, but uh, he's been he's been a he's been a starter for you for the better part of a decade now. I'd, I'd so, say he's been about as solid as an offensive lineman as you as you can really expect. Obviously, yeah, there's yeah. some that are. He's he's not a Hall of Famer, no, but, but he is he's a good. he's a several yeah. year starter, and yeah. that that is what you want out of a guy like Jake Matthews. So the offensive line for the Falcons has been really good when I did not expect it to be. So uh, hopefully that can keep up against. Well, like Cam said, if Jadavion Clowney and uh, Miles Garrett are able to go, that's a test for sure. So Falcons and Browns in Atlanta. Sunday at noon, you can catch it on Tiger 95.9 here with the Falcons Radio Network. West Durham on the call of that one. So also in the division, I bring this up because of just opinion question here for you guys. 8.30 in the morning, Vikings London. and Saints in yeah. London. Mm. Um, this is actually great news for me. I have the NFL app and I have NFL Plus, so I can listen to this game on the on the uh, way that Tampa has a hate listen. Um so, I just, and maybe I'm just coming at it for, but we've all, I mean, the Falcons have been over there yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. We've all had times. at some point the, a, a game over in England or in the Bucks case this year, it's going to be in Germany. I just am, I'm not a huge on these. I yeah, don't love them. Okay. I know, I completely understand, understand that they're trying to broaden, but because... they've been trying it for like, 20 years almost. I mean, the yeah. first... I, I think the Bucks played the Patriots when Cadillac was the starting run. Oh, like, wow. like, oh, six. I didn't like, know they've been, been trying this. that long. They've wow. been trying this for a long time. Right. And they've really... I, I'm now no longer seeing the point. I don't know if they're... I guess I'd want someone to come in and talk to me. Is there been a boom in interest? Right. I mean, it seems like they sell out the... The, the stadiums they it's, do. It's, it's, it's Wembley. at Wembley, yeah, yeah. which so, is so one I, of the biggest stadiums right. in the world, if so, not the biggest. So I guess there is a fan base I've seen on Twitter. The Falcons have like a club in the UK that has their fan base there. So you know, I I I, I can see why they keep going back, but I I understand because it takes away uh, effectively a home game from somebody, yeah. right? You know, and, and then so the fans there will probably. Be upset, and now the league can hide behind this a little easier because all they have to do is basically take the home games from the from the conference that has yep. nine, right? Um, because we now have unbalanced with nine home, eight away, and so that's why you're going to see a lot of NFC teams, a lot of NFC yeah. games here be the quote host of these games. Um, but I just I don't know. I guess I want a little more proof that it's actually achieving something. I think the NFL probably in its head wants to do one of two things. They either want to make something that's globally competitive with soccer, which would be incredibly hard yeah. to do. Yes. Oh yeah. And I don't think they're even no close way. to doing that. No shot. And, or two, they want to eventually have a franchise or something outside the US. That's and something I think, that I've I've thought about. I think that is attainable. And I think you can I think going to London is not the way to do it because I, I think I mean look at what the MLS and Major League Baseball and and other leagues have done. Go to Canada. I, I mean you've got one, you've got the Bills, which are essentially a Canadian team already. So just put another one up in Toronto or something like that, or go to Mexico City. I've heard talk about Mexico they, City. See, they did a. I was going to say they did a game in Mexico City yeah. last I, year. I, I think I you would have a lot ago, more, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Was it the Raiders and somebody? Or? And the Chiefs, okay. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you would have a lot more success playing in Mexico City or in Toronto than you would moving to London. 
I agree. I completely agree. Because so. like the the travel for a team from London, you think the Portland Trailblazers have it bad? Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you there. Um, one last thought here on the NFL, just on the slate in general. Um, still very early. Basically, everyone should have hope. Even like the Texans should have hope because the Colts and Titans are off the bad starts in the SEC <laughs> South. Uh, the Raiders are zero and three. They need this game against Denver. I think the marquee games of the day uh, probably Buffalo at Baltimore. Yes, that's a yeah, big one. Absolutely. And then at night, Kansas City at Tampa Bay should be fun. Um, a rematch of the twenty twenty Super Bowl. And then there's a couple other that are still intriguing. Maybe they're important. One that's fascinating that. If you told me the combined record of these two teams would be 5-1, and one, I would be like, huh? Because it's the 3-0 and o Eagles and the 2-1 and one Jaguars in yeah. Philadelphia. Um, so that one's Just kind of how bad is Urban Meyer? Dude, right? Proving to be very, very bad yeah. at the moment in the National yeah, Football League. Extremely yeah. bad. Because uh, I didn't think the world of Doug Peterson. I thought he was all right. I thought he was your average NFL coach, maybe but above he average. He yeah. locked. Uh, they they were off to a good start. So anything in particular interests you about that or anything else in the NFL? Yeah, I, I think well, anytime you get two really good teams like Chiefs, Bucks going up against another one another, that's going to be awesome. I still think that the Bills are my pick to win the Super Bowl. They still are. I still think they're the best team in the NFL right now. Baltimore is probably my my next pick in the AFC. They, I think that is that is a probably I think well, a Mark preview of the of the AFC championship matchup yeah. uh, in that one so I'm very interested in that one as well yeah um, and I watched did you guys watch Dolphins Bengals last night yes. did you see highlights you watched Dolphins I Bengals I saw highlights so I, I, I got with a buddy and or I got with JJ I don't know what I said but you, <laughs> you may not know him um, got with JJ and he has uh, Amazon Prime so yeah that. yeah that 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 was a, a interesting game for most of it uh, until probably the the Tua injury, which was very, very scary. Just fingers were locked up. He was knocked he out. Was, yeah. um, so good to see that, you know, he was able to be released last night and be able to fly back with the team and, and all that. And he released a statement um, just a little while ago talking about how he's he's okay. And um, they're all standing by what they said about last week and four days ago with how he hurt his back. And so – We'll see how that plays out, definitely, because Miami could be in some trouble if the concussion protocol was, um, wasn't was done correctly um, against the Bills game. And and just we, we'll just have to see because, I, I mean, he, he took another pretty hard – I mean, he got slung down really hard on the back of his head. Um, so that one, that one was um, definitely a scary side to see, was, was definitely – Kind of hard to watch that game after that, but I, I powered through and watched the end. Joe Burrow seems like he's kind of bouncing back a little bit. Well, when you have time to throw, yeah. it's just this yeah. unbelievable oh my, concept. Yeah, right, Goodness, right. isn't it so much better? Isn't CC it? Bo Nix. And, and, <laughs> and I, was, <laughs> I was telling JJ, I was saying, you know, they've got these great receivers, and I've watched him check down the mix in like four straight yeah. times because he's he so concerned yeah. that he's it's about scared. to run out of time. And yeah. so then in the second half, he was able to get the ball down the field, in particular the T. Game Higgins, up a lot more. but then chase a little bit too, and it's like, wait a minute, here comes the Bengals you saw right. last, last year. year somehow, even though their line was bad last right, year. So right. um, that game is interesting. And again, I think with Cincinnati – I, it's just what their line can give them on a week-to-week basis. I For think sure. they're plenty good enough around it to be a playoff team to even win the division. I think them versus Baltimore will be fascinating. Yeah. Um, and then from Miami's perspective, the 3-0 start, and I don't think it's fake, but I also think that when you lose Tua, 
you got to work through that. And I assume he'll be out a week or two. Yeah. Again, concussions are tricky, though. Sometimes you'll be out a month. Sometimes you'll be out a few days. Like, it, it just doesn't right. – it's not uniform. Uh, but Bridgewater looked all right coming in. He did. I mean, he's a he good backup gloves. quarterback in the league. <laughs> 32 gloves. Um, so that was interesting as well. Another good Thursday night game on on paper that, again, the, that's something else with the league. A lot of people – it's not just about the concussion. You could have said this coming in that the quality of play is typically lower on Thursday nights. Right. And again, players bouncing back from injuries and players getting injured in two games in five days. Yeah. Something that the league doesn't care about. But again, <laughs> you know, that, that I mean, is a thing. True. That is a great game to have again on a Thursday night where you're, you're even if you leave the injuries out of it, the quality of play is not as guaranteed right. on a Thursday. So yeah, I think the biggest problem is the two days, two games in five days thing. That's that's insane it's to ask lot. of of football. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, for your body, definitely. Yeah, it, it is. It, it takes a toll, uh, but again, it's here, it's here to stay. But uh, that was a big matchup, and again, we'll have some more throughout the day. On Sunday, we're going to take our next break of the show. When we come back, we're going to, again, break down Auburn and LSU, the things to look out for, and our predictions coming up next. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 at Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. Having a lot of fun, talking a lot of different things here on the Friday show because, well, we have a full weekend of sports, and that's a beautiful thing coming up. I want to remind you that Sports Call can now be heard on Amazon's Alexa devices. Open the Alexa app on your iPhone or Android and tap the menu icon at the top left. Tap Skills and Games in the menu and search for Sports Call Auburn. Select the skill, then tap Enable to Use. You're done. All you have to do now is say, Hey, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn, and you're listening to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. And also want to remind you that Sports Call Podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast. Join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. I had a nice vanilla Coke yesterday while I uh, watched the game last night. But um, I just highly recommend whether... It's vanilla Coke, cherry Coke. I'm a cherry Coke, Coke guy. Coke Zero. Big Coke guy. A lot of people get really upset if it's like Diet Coke versus Coke Zero because it's like a different <laughs> it's a different kind of Coke that they make basically nah. with it. They're different. The Diet Coke and, and Coke they Zero are very taste different. different. I like them all. I like everything. Yeah. I don't know. Sodas are great, and I love all Coke <laughs> products. So uh, enjoy an ice Coca-Cola right there. And you're going to probably enjoy... 
an ice cold Coca Cola tomorrow, whether or not you enjoy the football that you're watching with it, <laughs> as you watch Auburn and LSU inside of Jordan Hare Stadium, seen. is more debatable. <laughs> So, guys, uh, we've talked a lot about it in hour number one, but let's rehash it for those just tuning in. We have a long program. What are the keys to victory for Auburn, or, or what are what are the things that Auburn needs to do well? And I, I know we all know offensive line, it ties into it, but some of the key matchups you're looking out for and things Auburn needs to do well. Uh, I need to see Auburn put pressure. It, it, well, not even put pressure, but contain Jaden Daniels. The, the dude is a run-first quarterback, even though he has been very impressive throwing the ball. He, I watched some analysis on him earlier. His internal clock is faster than most guys. And the fact is, we talked about it earlier, that their starting left guard will be out for this game, and they have two true freshmen playing tackle. Yeah, got to uh, get pressure. So you've Derek Hall and Eculiota and Colby Wooden and those guys need to get after him a little bit, but not so intensely that they sacrifice lane integrity. Right. You've got You've got to collapse on him from your spot. You can't... You can't get out of your lane, or he's going to run right by you. You know he's going to put himself between you and the offensive lineman, and he's going to get outside the pocket, and that's where you don't want him because yeah, most that, that is where he is going to do most of the damage. So limit his limit his explosive plays on the ground. Uh, we've already talked about Keishon Butte. He missed last game yep. for the birth of his son. Congratulations to him. Uh, but he is going to be back for this game. Uh, offensively, I, I need to see some creativity. Brian Harson was known for the creativity of his offenses at Boise State, and we saw a little bit of that against Mercer. Have not seen a whole lot of it uh, this year. So uh, I understand that execute. We t- you, you put it this way earlier, Ryan, executing the complicated stuff is harder than executing the simple stuff, and Auburn can't do the simple stuff right now. But that being said, I need to see some counters. I need to see some outside runs. We talked about which plays we would like. You you and I both named certain kinds of counters. Uh, I want to see better execution on screens because Auburn is throwing screens. Auburn is running screen plays, but they have not been super successful this year. So that is uh, where I need to see a little more execution. So uh, let's yeah, – I, I want to see Auburn execute well, whatever that means. Just uh, play better than you've played so far. Yeah. And uh, like like you kind of touched on, I want to see I want to see the DBs how how they how they're going to fare against this wide receiver core man. Like, you know, extremely talented wideouts. I I definitely am interested to see that. Um, wondering, um, you know, again creativity. Like I'm with you. You know how how that's going to go. I I just don't know how they're going to fare. It, it's definitely going to be tough. I don't know. Um, let's just hope that you know Auburn pulls this out. I feel like if. I feel like it's going to be an ugly game. If if Auburn wants to stand a chance, it has they have to make it an ugly game. Um, if if they allow LSU to be able to execute on whatever they want, then we're not going to stand a chance. Um, and so yeah, just got to be able to disrupt, get in Jaden Daniels' face. Um, DBs, let's see if they can hold up pretty well because you know they they've been kind of struggling a little bit, um, just just a tad. And and you know I get I get that that's kind of due to not getting pressure on the quarterback. Um, because, you know, if a quarterback has time all day, then the receivers can just kind of run around and all the DBs are doing are reacting um, at that point. So it's just going to be it, – it makes it a lot more difficult to play defense. Um, so, yeah, that that's what I want to see. So for LSU, obviously we know about Kayshawn Booty, but uh, there – I know you say that it is Booty. We have confirmed that. No. Kayshawn said that it is. I I don't make the rules. I don't make the names. I don't make the rules. <laughs> Why would he? I guess. It is. He says it's booty. So there booty. you go. Um, 
Their other wide receiver, though, to look out for, Malik Neighbors. Yeah. He's a freshman, and people might know that name. It's like Neighbors, Neighbors. He's the kid that dropped the two punts yep. against Florida State. Um, he rebounded. He made a couple catches on that final drive as they went to try and tie the game, save for a Blanc extra point. But so Malik Neighbors is a genuine good number two receiver that they have developing there. As far as this game, we've talked a little bit about it. We know that Robbie Ashford will start to rehash that. TJ Finley still dealing with an injury. It's now more unclear if he was healthy. I kind of approached the depth chart this week as if since they're saying him or Holden Gurner as the number two, I kind of approached that as they're giving Ashford the job for now. But we've seen reporting here in recent days again that suggests that TJ Finley's probably not close to 100%. So we really don't know who Auburn would value as the starting quarterback if both were 100%. But it will be Robbie Ashford, and we expect to see all of Robbie Ashford unless unbelievably bad performance or unless injury. So you're looking at this offense, and you just got to say it's got to be run-based again. And I know we said that last week against Missouri. They did try they did. very hard to run. It <laughs> did not go well after the first quarter. Nothing went well just after can't the first quarter. throw the ball. It's very unfortunate. You just, you just can't do it. You don't have time. You don't know how much skill is there. You, you got so many questions when you, so many. when you throw the football. But, again, what we talked about in our number one, which was what kind of things do you want to see Auburn try and do? What's a package? What's a type of play? And yeah, I said bootlegs. Right, and you said get hit, use his feet, yeah. run move, over Move the pocket around. Yeah. Brant said counters. Want that GT counter? Want to get some motion going? Love that play. And then for me, I said I like this thing that the NFL, that the Dolphins and maybe a couple other teams are starting to do where they have this elongated run to the outside, but you pull yep. the guard, you had motion beforehand, you make it look like it's almost a reverse, but it's just a straight run to the right side or, or whatever side. Kind of, kind of like a Statue of Liberty handoff, but yeah. you're, you're not faking the throw first. Right. Yep, you're just running it. It's just a long run to set up, but – there's the problem. And again, we avoided it for a few minutes. And said, hey, give me some things to look at beside the offensive line. The offensive line is still it's there. The key. It, it's, it's not yeah. going away. You have five people to block and you hope that it goes well. But that's almost what it is at this point. It's hope it goes better than it's been going because it's been going poorly up front and badly. Uh, LSU, LSU's got a good front. Uh, we know yep. about BJ Ojolari, who is a really good pass rusher, a, a physical guy. Probably going to be a first rounder. Very well could be. I mean, and again, this is LSU is good up front. LSU is talented. We know this. And again, it still gets worse than LSU up front, and it would get worse the next week. But this week, again, Auburn LSU. What are you guys thinking? Prediction wise, I know the line I think opened at seven and then it went up to nine, now to eight. So we're kind of just we're finding the the happy medium of a, a a long possession, a big possession, or a possession and a half score is what kind of the going thought is. Is that kind of where you lie? That's interesting because I've uh, of the lines I've seen on this game, I've seen some like the some places I saw opened at Auburn by seven. And other places opened at LSU by four, and everybody has moved. And I've seen so many different lines on this game, depending on what book you're looking at. And frankly, I don't know. Like my head says that LSU should win this game going away because they're just a better team than Auburn is right now. Auburn did not look good against Missouri, and Missouri is not as good as LSU. Um, no, 
So bad tigers, bad bad tigers, and and not as bad tigers, but still pretty bad. And then kind of good tigers. And isn't there another tiger in in the SEC somewhere? I'm trying to. Th- I don't remember. I think we rest at three. Yeah, yep. rest at three. A couple of bulldogs, a couple of tigers. Anyway, I. But also, my memory goes. This game's never normal. No. This is never no. a normal football game. It's Jordan-Hare Stadium at night against LSU. The weirdest thing to happen would be for it to go as everybody expects, you know? It's just a it's just a weird football game and right. and I I think it's going to happen again. Or maybe Auburn loses 31 to 13 and you know, that's kind of well, lackluster. Either way, I'm going to be exhausted by the end of this. Last LSU game I was at was six years ago. It was the game that I think ultimately got got less miles fired, if I remember the, uh, correctly. The six, the six field goal. 20, yeah. The six the, field goal yes, game. Yes, the six field goal game. That's the last one I was at where we were they, – they, they scored. Um, LSU did. They scored with time off the clock, and they didn't hike the ball in time, so Auburn ended up winning. And that that's the last one I was at. So I'm going to be at this one. The line right now is at LSU minus eight. Um, so I, I definitely he wants I, to. He wants I, to I pick want off. So bad. He's, he's <laughs> just so like bad. I, I, I will think say I'm in our do it in our predictions. I did pick LSU. I I, I picked Auburn. I'm pretty, uh. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I picked Auburn. I can't. It's just it, it's, it's, it's the a fan night game, dude. It's the fan. It's too much Auburn in it's you. It's the night game. It's the it's it's the environment. I, I I just I can't bet against it. There's just something I can't bet against it. And so I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna roll with Auburn. I'm gonna say it's gonna be a close one. I can't give you a score. I think it's gonna be within one possession though. That's some craziness. Yes. And look, I, we I, we know here's what we know. If I'm I'm not picking Auburn, but here is here is if you're if you're wanting to go down that line. Here's what you know in that favor. You know that home field means a lot in college football. And you know that this home field means more than the average home field in college football. Yeah. Um, weird stuff happens Weird here. things happen. It's not even just the noise level, too. I'm talking about just Auburn weird. There's voodoo. Wins, weird games here. There and, is voodoo. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Because, again, I tell you, as bad as I think Missouri is, and I've even made a couple Missouri jokes because they've got Georgia this weekend that's not going to go well. Missouri was better than Auburn last Saturday. I would stand beside that. Now, they, they should have won the game. better. But they they had like Auburn had a chance to win the game. Missouri had like four. They did. They did. <laughs> Missouri does one of four things right. They they outgained Auburn by a hundred yards. They looked better than Auburn did, mm-hmm. and Auburn still won. And so now, granted, the gap between LSU and Missouri is sizable, significant. It's, it's, it's big. It's large. It's potentially cavernous. <laughs> it, it, it between it, Missouri and, LSU, and much of the SEC. Right, right. Again, and that's not even saying LSU's some great team. They're a good team. They look like they're on a good start to the Brian Kelly era, despite right. the, the Florida State loss. But I just think with this game, I don't think that you can cover up and, and get away with the things that Auburn did because against Missouri, because Auburn no. didn't even do many good things mm-hmm. against Missouri. They, I, Derek Hall played well. The front played pretty well. Obviously, there was some level of good defensive play to keep Missouri down the whole second half, but. Again, Jaden Daniels will be able to make more plays than that. LSU will be able to find more things wrong with that. And Auburn has is not got many things that they say, I, I believe that this is good. I believe that this will be good. 
And so I'm going LSU 31 to 17 over Auburn. Yeah. Um, that would not be a blowout. I think Auburn will hang again. I said I think LSU in the 20 to 30 point range. Really, there's not. I don't think LSU can score 42 points in this game. I also don't think LSU will score 13 points in this game. I think there's a base level that they're going to obtain. Uh, but the reality is for Auburn, it, they, if they don't find something, especially offensively, that is just vastly different than what we've seen really for three weeks now, then they're just not going to win this game. They would have to have the voodoo magic, yep. and maybe that isn't even enough in a two-score game. Let's take our final break of the program today. On the other side, the nightly TV guide will end another week of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. This is Sports Call. May we have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Final minute or two of Sports Call today and for the week here on Tiger 95.9. My name is Ryan Lavoy. I'm with Cam Berry and Brant Daughtry today. We've had a lot of fun talking everything about Auburn, LSU, college yeah. football, uh, pro time. football, Braves, Mets. I mean, we've had a little bit of everything on the program today. And uh, we're about out of time. Also had uh, Brian Creighton to talk some NASCARs. They're at Talladega this weekend. I know a lot of people boogity will boogity. be going there. Exactly. Boogity boogity indeed. So uh, a lot of great things um, really what we've, we've talked about today, but now just a minute or so left on the show. So this comes up now. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. And on the TV guy tonight, college football, Tulsa at Houston, 6 o'clock on ESPN. The Mets and the Braves, 620, Valley Sports South Southeast. You've also got the women's college soccer, which is on right now on SEC Network Plus between Auburn and Vanderbilt. That's where you can hear J.J. Jackson. Collins Hill High School Woo! at Buford, 6 o'clock yeah. ESPN 2. Mm-hmm. That is my alma mater that right there. That is where Canberry went to high school. That'll yeah, be baby. a fun – that'll be an interesting one because Buford is yeah. – Buford's like the school in Georgia. Historically good. Yeah, yeah, it's like the the IMG of Georgia pretty essentially. Much, pretty much. Known, known colloquially as, as uh, Buford University. Basically, yes. And then we also <laughs> have one movie, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, 6 o'clock. On TNT, that is your nightly TV guide brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Fun show today, boys. Cam, I appreciate you being here. Hope yeah. you have a great weekend. Oh, yeah. Brand, I hope you enjoy the game tomorrow. I hope I do, too. I, I hope you have a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong inside of Jordan Air City. <laughs> Facts. And uh, that will do it for the show today. We appreciate all those who tuned in today and also appreciate Brian Creighton, of the president of Talladega Super Speedway, for chatting with us as well. For Brant Daughtry and Cam Berry, my name is Ryan LaVoy. We hope you have a great weekend full of football, and we'll talk to you on Monday.